Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. I'm very excited to introduce you to today to, how do I say that? I'm very excited to introduce you today to... I can talk. It's Tuesday. To Matt Blanton and Corwin Smith with Culture to Cash. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Happy to have you. I'm going to have you pull up a little bit in front of that mic. We, I know you're going to have great yeah. bites of wisdom, so we want to make sure we hear everything. So tell us who and what is Culture to Cash? Culture to Cash is a group of consultants, Matt, myself, and Nick Scarabosio, and we work with small business owners and specifically work with small business owners to help them exit their business before they exit. Mm -hmm. So what happens, like what we found in in my experience, and I'm sure Matt and Nick have their own experience with this, uh, we've been small business owners and uh, we started out with a brilliant idea that looked like we'd earn more money and have more freedom or autonomy. And we built ourselves our own prison. And so uh, we help business owners that are looking to exit their business typically in the next three to five years or longer And we help them both exit their business before they exit, so improve their autonomy or freedom from the business, and significantly improve the value of the business while also improving the culture along the way. Yeah, Culture to Cash. Tell me a little bit more about the name and and why you guys created your practice with that name in mind. I think with Culture to Cash, culture being um, really almost an abused word these days, it's just... Uh, now it's so watered down that you can't find the true meaning of it. But ultimately, every company has a culture. And that culture can be positive, it can be negative, it can be neutral, but ultimately, every company has a culture. So our focus is on really understanding how to create a positive culture, because we're in a human business. And so no longer are the days of the Industrial Revolution where people are just cogs in a wheel, like they have a value, a human life value. And so the way that we look and view culture is really how to amplify those people, to lift them up, let them be their highest and best self inside the company, but also outside. And so it's really empowering and creating autonomy, not only with the business owner, but also with the employees. So slow process, but that's the place. And the thing that really entrepreneurs carry carry about the most is really cash, like they want to grow something significant, but they also want to make more money. And that's just the way that most of them are wired. So that's really what we do is proven a system to go from a really successful culture that allows them to provide a nice foundation of cash. That cash is a tool that allows them to not only invest in their people, invest in the client experience, but also provide a better life than what they may have. Mm-hmm. How long have y'all been working together as a team? Uh, I've known Matt now, what, like 13 years through yeah. through Entrepreneurs Organization. Um, I started doing consulting in 2016, the spring of 16, when I uh, exited my fire and flood restoration business that was based here in Phoenix. Matt, Nick, and I partnered up about a year ago, a little over a year ago. Yeah. yeah. So good. And what did you do previously, Matt? Same. So I have, uh, let's see, three or four companies now, but I exited my last one in 21. And a lot of this stemmed from my exit in 16. So seeing the writing on the wall that my people were really the problem, but also the solution. And the way that I was able to manage and work and more towards a leadership position 
was allowing me to step away from the business and actually work on the business and create something bigger, it was amazing. But it took a lot of years of doing it the wrong way to understand how to do it the right way. So that was my background through, you know, buying and selling companies, also building and selling companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a lot of uh, consultants would choose to go solo in this world. Why would the three of you come together and collaborate? Mm, Mindshare. There's just tools and wisdom that I think Corwin has and Nick have as well. I think we just bring a unique approach in, as individuals, but collectively we get to go farther faster. Mm. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, it, it, my, my experience of working with Nick and Matt is uh, it's been like a one plus one equals like three or four rather than just two. And there's like plenty of business to go around for all of us. Plenty of opportunity. So I love it. What yeah. is what is kind of the target business that you prefer to work with? Or is, is there a specific industry, specific leadership style? How bad do they have to be hurting before you come in and help support their success? Yeah, there's a, a variety of companies that we work with in different industries and revenue size. But for the most part, I would say Five to 100 million, roughly. And there are some specific industries that work well for us, which is blue collar, uh, trades, construction, things like that, which is a huge background that Corwin has. But it's certainly an industry I believe is underserved. Mm-hmm. And then uh, marketing um, is another big one for us. And a lot of times it's not necessarily the industry specifically to the situation. Companies that are really focused on taking care of their people, they've got a good core foundation as an owner. And that shows up in their core values, but there's just some disconnect between what they desire to create and what is actually showing up in the moment. What would you attribute that disconnect? What is that? Where does that gap or how does that gap take place? Most entrepreneurs that we work with are highly creative and innovative in the way they work. And uh, I think that's a blessing and a curse. So most, most, I, I can't think of a single client we've been effective with that was really at their core hands-off manager. So their belief and their philosophy is that I can hire people and put them in place and get out of their way and they're just going to be successful, <laughs> right? One of my favorite ones is where you have a highly um, creative visionary type CEO and their belief is, is I can just hire a COO or general manager to run the business and they have a nice pedigree or background and I can put them in the business and it'll work. 99% of the time, it doesn't work. And we've witnessed it over and over and over again because at the core, their their business does not really have any strong organization or structure in place to begin with. They may have job descriptions. They may not. Their meeting rhythms are totally lacking. Like it's it's like a miracle that the business is running as, as it is. And so we come in and we fundamentally bring structures that work that have been proven out over tens of thousands of companies and help uh, help teams and companies implement these structures and processes to help the business run more smoothly, but also in alignment and in flow. Yeah. What's a meeting rhythm? (laughs) Meeting rhythms, fundamentally, we take that from the heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of the organization. Yeah. So like if your heart doesn't beat regularly, mine doesn't, by the way, (laughs) I have a heart arrhythmia. Uh, If it gets severe enough, I have problems. And the same goes with organizations is having a consistent heartbeat for the organization daily huddles, weekly meetings, monthly meetings, and a consistent rhythm and schedule where teams come together, they communicate, they solve issues or challenges, get connected, and then go back out and work. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge with that is that even though companies right now are doing meetings, doesn't mean that they're effective. 
And so there's been lots of studies around death by meeting. There's been books on it. But ultimately, a really well-run meeting has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's got structure. It's got pieces of it that allow people to be heard, to problem solve, um, and move through so that they're being productive with their day. Otherwise, it's just coming in and it's checking boxes and nothing really is being done. We find this all the time. Even in larger organizations, it's happening all the time. People are just showing up. They're going through the motions, but nothing's actually really happening. And I think people would be surprised how productive they can actually be when they have the proper structure in place and they're actually doing it. The foundation of a meeting is really built on trust. So if people in the room don't have a level of trust and that container is not held and it's not done the right way, there's another area of opportunity where they can start to actually increase the productivity of that meeting. I bet it's fascinating to see teams go from, oh, my God, we have another meeting, to, hooray, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't wait to get in there and take a bite off what we've got going on. Do you see that shift? Big time. Yeah. Yeah. And how does that feel for the business owner or the the executive leader? It's got to be amazing. Yeah, it's certainly an awareness piece of, wow, I didn't know it could be like this. Ah. Yeah. So they get into into it, and it may take a little turbulence to get things to settle down. So the container is shaken like a snow globe. Things settle down in the right place. People understand. They have a voice. And then all of a sudden, it starts to move a little smoother. So, um, yeah, feedback on that is probably one of the more powerful pieces. I love that metaphor you just shared, too. I would imagine uh, that there's times where you're in a cadence, you're in that flow, whether it's you know work, everybody's doing their own thing, or you're in a meeting, and then to come in and intentionally shake that snow globe so that it's purposeful, meaningful, and it's setting the tone for what's next. That's a great example of, of how to how to guide and lead. Yeah. How long do you typically work with organizations? Does that vary? Yeah. So our initial hypothesis working with the companies will usually do 90 days together. I've been doing this now for, gosh, seven years. My longest standing client's almost five years with me. We're really on like a month-to-month engagement. I, I don't know about you, Matt, but I know for me, I hired consultants, uh, even marketing people, and I got locked into contracts that I got stuck in. And it's like, we're not getting results. Like, can I just buy you out of this thing? Because this is not working. Our philosophy is like, if we're doing good work, our clients are going to want to keep paying us. Yay. And if we're not, then like, Let's, let's part as friends. That's, like, the, that's okay. the same way that I work with Phoenix Business yeah. Radio X and in my coaching practice. Yeah. Like you, I've been in too many ironclad agreements oh and could not find my way out other than <laughs> writing a check every month, just swearing, <laughs> handing it over and getting nothing it's back. The worst. Yeah. yeah. That's, I love that when we've had those experiences, we can build our businesses differently so that it's a win win. Totally. Yeah. That's what we're after. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Let's um, talk more. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that. That goes back to the idea of an energy exchange. So energetically, that's a whole negative energy exchange. When somebody's having to write a check and that person's receiving it and it's it's not feeling its high value, that exchange is off. So it's very one-sided and that doesn't work. So again, I think to our point, I don't want a contract that somebody feels obligated to stay in because I'm not getting the best of them and they're not going to get the best of me. In certain situations, contracts may make sense. For what we do, we, we prefer month to month because we get to prove our, our salt every, every month. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about uh, just the way that energy and that type of mindset comes into the way in which you show up for companies, right? It, you're speaking my language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody who listens to any of my shows know that that's my language. Mm-hmm. Tell me what energy means to you guys in your practice, and then how does that show up 
uh, in the tangible uh, results that a company experiences with your help? Yeah, I think from top down. So part of the, one of the things that we'll create is really a, a strategic vision about where everybody's going. Like, where is this company going? What's the reason behind it? Oftentimes in the background, we'll work with the uh, individual CEO or entrepreneur in order to create their own personal plan, their own personal life plan so that they know where they're going personally. Because oftentimes this is a story of does the dog wag the tail or does the tail wag the dog? So many times entrepreneurs get down the road and they find that they're the ones that are uh, not in control anymore. And so their life looks completely different than what they anticipated it look like. The challenge with that is now 10, 15, 20 years or more has gone by and they're further down the road, farther away from the thing that they wanted or who they thought they were going to be or what things were going to look like. So as we look at that and we build that plan for them personally, then we can go into the company and we can start to say, okay, what's the container we need to create here in order to meet the vision of the owner as well as meet the obligation, the purpose and the kind of the vision of where they thought this thing was supposed to go. And then it's an alignment. And that energy exchange is really, it's the first major shift, I think, in the light bulb to go off for them to say, hey, I don't have to tolerate or be in this situation anymore. It is a choice. And so I get to choose which way I'm going. And here's what I want to create. And that's energizing. That's exciting. That gets them reinvigorated about the business. So that's a whole different leader that's at the helm of the boat so that they can start to create and invigorate other people on the team. How easy does that come for some? I would imagine that if we've we've been in the trenches and we're building a business and we're, we're feeling like we're pointing the fingers at our vendors or our clients or customers or even our teammates, and then to have to inwardly look at how my showing up, is that tough for some? Uh, absolutely. Ultimately, we look at it by personality profiles as well. So when we're engaging with an owner or anybody on the team or anybody in the organization, we're assessing and kind of seeing where they're making decisions from. How do they make decisions? Mm -hmm. What's of high value to them and what's not of value to them? Because they have to fit within a certain kind of way that they work that's allowing the, the organization to get the best out of them and them to also feel like they are purpose-driven and they show up and excited to work every day because they're doing the thing that they're wired to do. It's that idea of, you know, their true genius. And so allowing them to be expressive in that is ultimately, I think, the goal of every business owner is to have everybody in alignment that's truly in their zone of genius. So the business owner's personality can be wildly different. We have some that are true, true visionaries, and they're in the astral plane just trying to build this amazing thing. Elon Musk is, you know, most notable for things like that. But with small companies, we also have to ground. So we have to have the vision and we also have to ground back in. And I think that's where you may have a second in command or somebody there that is really kind of holding down the space and saying, okay, that's great. Where does that fit in this longer vision? Okay, let's put that over here. We're going to talk about that in another six months or a year. So it is a management of dealing with personalities and there's a lot of them. So um, that's something that I think is highly valuable once they understand that not everybody's wired the same way. Mm -hmm. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was 2014. And I had uh, a lot of men have a midlife crisis. I had a third life crisis uh, in that my mom uh, died suddenly in her sleep okay. at, uh, at 53. And uh, it was, it was jarring for me. And uh, I was operating my company at that time. And I was mm, probably semi unconscious 
um, I was really caught in the fray and in the momentum of the business. And uh, it caused me to really do a lot of reflection. And I just got really clear that we spend, you know, better part of 60% of our waking hours as human beings at work. It's significant. And so as a business owner, if I'm not doing work that's really aligned with what I feel like my deeper purpose is, if my people aren't doing work that really lights them up and is, is connected to their deeper purpose, I think we're wasting our lives. Wow. Yeah. And how, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. how did you find your way out of that to now be saying, okay, gosh, I must have gone through that so I can be of greater service to yeah. other business owners. What, I mean, do you bring some of those, I'm going to call them techniques for lack of a better sure. word right now, but what do you bring into your practice now that helped you get through those times? Um, I, I think for me, it's like, you know, Matt mentioned this, um, this exercise we do, particularly with owners, we do it with some of the leaders too, but we help them develop a one-page life plan that mirrors their one-page business plan. The way we see it is like your business is merely a vehicle. That's it. It's a vehicle for you to get what you want out of your life. And in life, we have a super practical purpose, which is earning and saving enough to take care of our family now and through uh, 30 years of unemployment a.k.a. retirement. Mm -hmm. People like to call it retirement, but it's unemployment. It's not sexy for some. For others, it's great. So number one, like there's a hyper practical purpose, but then there's also an existential purpose, which is like when I get to the end of my life and I'm really taking a look how I spent my days and my hours, am I going to feel like, like, yeah, like I actually was in alignment with what I feel my deeper purpose is and the impact I wanted to make in the world. So we help owners ground that in with a one-page life plan that mirrors the one-page business plan. And we help them get ultra clear on like, this is the kind of difference I want to make in the world. And how does it actually express itself inside of the organization specifically hmm. or not? Mm -hmm. And how do we need to change? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it when you use the word vision, is that really a piece of it or is that the all of it? It's a piece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's the guiding compass that's pulling us towards something. So all decisions, if we're using a decision-making filter or decision tree, whatever you want to call it, the vision is the thing that's pulling us along towards that. And that's the thing that allows us to use a true North Star. And if we get out of alignment, it's easy for us to be approached by another team member or a spouse or something like that and say, hey, here's where you're going. You're kind of out of alignment. Let's get back on track here. And so it opens up, again, uh, an ability to have some level of conflict, but in a, in a good way, because it's grounded in where they're supposed to be going, the purpose and the vision. The guesswork is no longer there. There, mm -hmm. there is no more guesswork. It's very intentional. Yeah. Yeah. You said something else just a second ago, communication. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about communication. How important is that? And where do you see that businesses are failing in that area? Why do you speak the language? <laughs> well, the, the number one illusion of communication, as it's often said, is that it ever took place. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How about that? I've right? never heard that. Yeah. Um, so communication is a hard word because like um, we could survey just the people around the table here and we'd have five different definitions of what communication is. For communication to really be effective, my message that I'm sending actually has to be received and heard by whoever I'm communicating with, which is really hard. Yeah. Like, you know, it's um, why I suspect people are at war and um, relationships fail and everything else. And it just really comes down to broken communication. Um, and it shows up in organizations consistently. My experience is most organizations undercommunicate at the core. I found it happen often where there's like inner team drama 
is the only way I can describe it. And the irony is like, but by us shifting how they meet in a weekly, in a daily meeting rhythm, um, it eliminates most drama because uh, it gets people together and it gets them to talk and talk to each other and like actually confront each other and just have a conversation. It's amazing how much can be solved by just actually communicating and dropping in and listening to other people, but also being able to speak clearly to other people about what's going on and, and moving the action forward. Yeah. Is the phrase you use constructive conflict? Did you say constructive conflict? That's where I went in my mind. Do you remember what you said? That sounds good. Let's use that. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> Not that it matters how it was worded. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying. So you, are, you're letting business owners and teams know conflict is good. It's encouraged. Let's do it so that we're not beating up, beating each other up. Yeah. What else is there to that piece of it when we're talking about conflict and how to work our way through that? I just had this conversation on a phone call with uh, another client on the way here. And one of the things that I, I want them to remember, and I have, I have to remind myself of this as well, is there's something that they're needing and there's something that I need to hear. So am I open? Am I aware? Am I able to be able to offer that to them to allow them to be heard or to be seen? You know, our kids, our, our spouse, our employees all want to be seen. And they want to be heard. So if that's the case, am I am I ready to be receptive? Because what they're saying sometimes is just bouncing off. I'm not, I'm not getting it. Because I may have my own agenda. There's the ego involved and all those types, types of things. So if I'm focused on being present and being open, I can understand and better receive the information they're trying to give me. Thus, me then get echoing back, okay, here's what I heard. Is that right? No, that's not it. It's like this. Okay, great. So it's like this plus this. Okay, great. And so it's a way to land um, in a space where you're now starting to align with each other. And again, that's that's really at the base level what everybody wants. They want to be seen and heard and loved, obviously. So, but we're not going around giving back hugs and big hugs necessarily to to everybody. But the most for the most part, people are wanting to be able to see the vision and they want to see what impact they have on that vision as well. So mm -hmm. when it comes to communication, oftentimes it's what's in it for me. A lot of, is the thing that comes up for them. Mm -hmm. And so we may have to speak to that or we have them echo that back to us. Um, you know, what are you looking for? It's It's okay to understand what their wants, desires, and needs are. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's where I want to go. Here's what I want to do. And that's not just in the business. That's also personal. So understanding these things, um, I think, as, as business owners or entrepreneurs, it's our job to help facilitate them along that path. Now, we can't do it for them necessarily. We might be able to help them along the way with some level of education or painting out, hey, have you considered this? Or here's a piece of education you can go do. We may pay for that. So there's some things that can show up with that. And again, that's at a very basic human level. That's what people want. So we're helping them get what they want. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that plan to exit then. Did I hear you correctly when we first started the conversation that uh, typically it's about three to five years before they're ready to sell or mm -hmm. hand it over to, I mean, Their is it typically, yeah, 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 employees yeah. or younger children who, sure. who are just dying to have the business? <laughs> Which is becoming less and less common. <laughs> it really is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so when is it import important for a business owner to start thinking about their exit? It's now. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's a book by John Warlow that I really love, and I know it, it's deeply impacted Matt and I both, called Built to Sell. And it, and John Warlow's whole, you know, philosophy in the book is like, hey, whether you're going to sell your company or not, build it to sell. 
um, companies that are ready to sell are far more healthy and well-ran companies than companies that aren't ready to sell. Why is that? Well, there's a few big drivers of value. The number one driver of value is free cash flow or earnings is the number one driver of value. And this is for 99.9% of business sales. There's always anomalies, right? And then number two is owner autonomy or freedom, meaning that we can pull Tom out and we can put Fred in and the business is the same fundamentally. And the same goes if the business can run without the owner, that's a healthy business. And if it's earning free cash flow, that's the oxygen to keep it going. What I find is business owners really have to ask themselves, like, am I building this business to get my own emotional needs met, to feel important or needed or something else? Or am I actually looking at my business as like a vehicle to like take care of my family's financial needs and also do good in the world? And doing good in the world is not me being super needed by my team. One of the things we watch happen when we work with leaders and managers to manage more effectively is they become really good problem solvers. I was trained, I don't know about you guys, but I was trained in school to have the right answers. And when I did, I got like the, ni the nice ego strokes and that stuff, and I felt good about myself. And the hard part is like, we've been trained to be problem solvers and answer givers. And the same thing happens in business and that our teams, they tend to rely on us for the answers and solutions. And of course, like we're ready at hand because like it feels good to give the right answer. Like I get the neurotransmitters running through my brain and I light up because I was right. However, it leaves me trapped in the business and stuck in the business instead of actually teaching people, number one, to start to think and problem solve themselves and empower them, which actually helps them feel better about the work they're doing, number one. But number two, actually start to rely on each other and their team. One of the biggest shifts we witness happening with teams we work with is it used to be that when a problem popped up, they'd go to the leader or business unit manager, whoever it is, to solve problems. And what ends up happening through these meeting rhythms we implement is they figure out like, oh, hey, um, Sherry, who I work next to every day, she knows how to solve this stuff. I'm just going to go to her direct and work with her on the problem instead of having to always go to the boss or like the paternal person in the organization. What's next for you guys as far as building your business and helping others exit? Is there a, a collaboration that you're looking forward to? What kinds of things that make sense for you coming into 2024? Um. First and foremost, for us, it's impact. And so it, it's a number of employees and just wanting to be in these organizations making that impact. So, I mean, we're, we're new in this. Um, we all come with our collective experience, but this, you know, entity is, you know, going on a year old. And so our focus on this is really about impact. And so what tools, um, what resources, and what systems can we create to make the biggest impact to those, those people? to those employees. So we understand the business owner is absolutely our, our core customer and making sure that they have a legacy that they can be proud of. They can, you know, ultimately get handed off. Um, so giving them the, the autonomy and the freedom in financial resources and time, you know, all the resources. So if we can do that and they can empower their teams and they can grow, including the oxygen they need that Cora mentioned, which is the cash side, Allowing that company to grow, that's those are people that are employed. They're making good wages. They've got a great culture. So they have more um, excitement to come to work. And I think that's the biggest impact. So for us, that's that's where we're headed is how do we impact the most amount of employees with that mission? I love that. Is that what it helps you go comfortably to sleep at night knowing that it's not just the, the one and done? It's really like I can see this 
um, this web that just kind of filters out. It's throwing a, a little pebble into a pond and watching it filter out. Yeah, it's the, I think for us, I'll, I'll speak for myself, but it's the emails, the texts, the phone calls that I get at random times. And it's from either a, a leadership team member or even an employee or an entrepreneur. It's just like, hey, I just did this thing. Here's what happened. And it, it's drastically changed my life. Those are the things that we love to get as just those little messages. Hey, I was able, I mean, it, it's as simple as, you know, starting with somebody and they're working 80 hours a week and all of a sudden they're working 50, 30 hours different. That 30 hours they then spend with their family and they get to go to the soccer games. Like imagine the emotional impact that, that has on that person. And just that one person yes. and the ripple effect. The family. Yeah. So it's not just the employees. It's not just the entrepreneurs. It's also the families. The impact on the families is significant. And so when we talk about a pebble in a pond, it's much bigger than just the employees. It's their families too. They're learning how to, you know, work at a company or how to identify the right company or the right leader to work for the right purpose. So they're teaching that to their kids. Oh, here's what you're going to look for. And so it is a, it's a definitely a big shift, I think, in the way that business is done these days. I love that you had shared that the word culture is kind of, you know, overused or misused. And yet it's the very fiber of everything that you teach and you share and you guide leaders towards is having a healthy culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you always been wired this way? Uh, what you both come with such great wisdom and, of course, experience. But this way of thinking isn't uh, always common especially when it comes to, uh, I would say, people in the trades, right? A lot of folks will start a business and they'll kind of become an accidental business owner or the accidental manager, and they're really good at what they do. They're the technician, right? And then there, somebody says, you really ought to open your own business, and so they do. <laughs> and then all hell breaks loose. So, Sometimes you want to fla slap that friend or give them a hug. You're not <laughs> right. sure. I'll let you know in a couple of years. It, exactly. Yeah. It depends. <laughs> so, um how did you come to be who you are as a leader, uh, both in business but also in life? Because I'm sensing that you both have, have had some pretty interesting experiences to get where you are today. Are we always wired like this? It's a good question. I, well, the first thing is, like, I, I kind of laugh about it because what I didn't realize was I have a superpower called being allergic to the day-to-day -day in my business. And so uh, in, in my last company... Um, there were pinch points where I worked really long hours, like 50, 60, 70 hour weeks when we started. Um, and then in 2013, um, we grew 300% and it created another pitch, pinch point for me for about nine months. But like, number one is like, I kind of always had an allergy to the day to day. And number two, I always felt like I was in business for something more than what we were actually doing. We were in disaster restoration, which was cool. But like what originally pulled me into it was actually helping people. So before I did that, I did medical sales and, and I called on doctor's offices and I got paid well and I had like a really nice sounding job. But um, when I started the disaster restoration company, I just found myself kind of hollow because I was making good money and I had a good job, but I couldn't actually see the impact I was making on the quality of people's lives doing medical sales. I didn't see it, period. Like I knew I made more money and the doctor's offices liked it when I entertained them with sporting events and the other things that, you know, we did. And that was cool. But there was no direct impact to seeing like, oh, like we actually improved people's lives, which pulled me into disaster restoration was when we'd show up on projects, we could actually see like, wow, like this person's home or business is in chaos. 
and helping them put the pieces back together. Um, during my third life crisis, I jokingly call it, um, I started to look at like, how do I want to spend the next 10 years? And uh, what I got really clear about was I wanted to have a exponential impact beyond just one organization with changing how people experienced work. After I'd had that revelation or insight about 60% of our waking hours at work, I really started to look at like, okay, like how do I scale the impact I can have? And I can have a lot more impact by influencing leaders in companies than just leaders in my own organization. That's what led me to make the decision to exit the company in 16. I've never really regretted the decision since. I don't, I don't know, Matt can speak for his experience, but this has definitely been a maybe, I would describe a more em emotionally difficult business. I had a mentor early on uh, who worked for Deloitte um, in consulting, and he said, hey, Corey, he said, cool, you're going into this. He said, you just have to be okay playing stage bomb. And I don't think I really got at that point what he meant. And now I do. Because stage mom kind of plays in the background. They don't get the accolades and the celebration when, you know, the kid on stage does really well. But there still is like the emotional for for me. And I know Matt and Nick feel a similar thing, like the emotional frustration and, and disappointment when things aren't going well. Whether they're having cash flow issues or maybe a leader isn't quite making the changes they need to make as fast as they should be making them. Like there's psychological difficulty for us because we truly care. We're really after these leaders winning, but ultimately the employees winning too. Yeah. <clears throat> Part of what I think, this is the difference between, I think Corwin, Nick and I, we all bring these unique skill sets. I love operations. I don't necessarily want to do it every single day, but I love looking at it, dissecting it, figuring out how to make it faster, make it better, uh, better quality. Like how do we make this a great experience? And so for me, I've always had that wiring of not perfection, but just improving, like constantly improving on a system or a process or a product or a service. Like the iteration for me is, is a fun process. And I do enjoy leading people as well. I don't get excitement out of doing it every day as far as like doing day to day, but I do enjoy the operational side. I want to see how we can clean things up in order to make it run smoother. And so that's always been a hard wire for me. And I think the other piece for me that allows a uniqueness to this is the time I spent in working in men's transformational work uh, for a couple of years. And we would run these um, uh, Hell Week style one week intensives. But the whole premise of it was really about getting married businessmen out of their current state and stuckness in order to see a new possibility and then helping them through that possibility. And so better husbands and fathers, better leaders in the company, better community leaders, like that was the whole premise of it. And so I take that and I bring it into this. And so there's a level of real deep personal work that's combined with the company so that there's total life alignment. And so that's the stuff that I, I truly enjoy. And I think that's the nuance piece that I'll bring to the team. And Nick has, has a similar experience as well, but he's got another fantastic story and great experience and tool set that really helps corn out tremendously because sometimes I feel technically inept. Um, and Nick is like a, he's a ninja. So uh -huh. we, we appreciate him. He's our greatly. AI. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Your own personal AI. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So how do uh, business leaders uh, get a hold of you? What's the, what does that look like if they're listening today and they reach out? What, what is, how does the conversation start to see if they're a good fit? And if you're in alignment with what they're looking for? Yeah, I think best thing is to reach us at um, www.com. 
uh, culturetocash.com, or you can just email Corbin or I at matt at culturetocash.com or Corbin at culturetocash.com. Either way is fine with us. Mm -hmm. It starts with a conversation. It does. Doesn't really every great decision or every poor decision (laughs) start with a conversation. (laughs) Hopefully more of them are are good decisions. Sure. And are you working with companies just here in Arizona or is this nationwide? What's the scope? Yeah, nationwide. uh, Nick and I were actually just in Jacksonville, Florida last week kicking off with a real estate company. Um, And then, uh, yeah, we got companies right here in our own backyard in Mesa, Phoenix, Gilbert. So it really spans the, the nation. Excellent. Yeah. Fantastic. And we can find both of you on LinkedIn. Yep. And where else on social media for? Uh, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> good. So good. Uh, if you could leave our listeners and viewers with one piece of advice, assuming that they are a business owner, and they might be scratching their head thinking, I think maybe it's time I start thinking about, uh, you know, selling my business or retiring, whatever it is. What is the the one thing that you might say to them that would uh, spark them in the right direction? Mm. Fear is the ultimate motivator and it's also paralyzing so the duality of that is very important in this conversation because oftentimes especially with men and i don't want to stereotype but um we can be pretty hard-headed and so the the belief is i'll do it myself and so i would encourage no matter if it's with us or somebody else but have somebody that you can invest in that truly cares that will help you um, expose blind spots and allow you to move quicker to what you want and also farther away from what you don't want faster. Mm, so good. Matt said it perfectly. And, and on top of that is, is two other things. Number one is knowing how much is enough. What we found is like some entrepreneurs build and sell multiple companies like Matt, they build and sell one or two. What's hard is like we've witnessed it where an entrepreneur spends 20 or 25 years building a company they get in a tight spot, um, health issues, family issues, or uh, one of these private equity firm c- firms comes and knocks on their door and makes them an offer, which is like, wow, that's an incredible amount of money. Gets them all the way to the point to a purchase and sale agreement. Now that original number is 30% of what they said, but the owner has already set sale to Barbados and they're checked out and they're done. So they take an offer for their company that's 30% of the real value. So number one is like, know how much is enough for you to sell your company and like, that's enough, whatever that looks like for you, number one. And then number two, like identify what your company is actually worth today and what it's going to take to improve the value to close that gap. Just happened to a, a guy that attended one of my workshops last fall. He sold his company for probably a third of what he should have. And it was like, by the time we met, uh, it was too late because he was like, hey, Cord, I'm burned out. I'm done. I just want to sell it and I'm getting, you know, this amount of money for my business and it'll be okay. And he's figuring out it's not, but it's too late. I've had several friends say the same thing. (laughs) They just throw up their hands. I want out so bad. I'm just going to exit or I'm just so stressed and overwhelmed that I just am going to go ahead and do it. And if they had the right consultation and the right support, then they could either hang on a little bit longer, put the right people in place, all the things that you've shared in this past time together. Yeah, that's the exit of a, a situation versus exiting a business. Okay, speak to that. Yeah, yeah, the idea of exiting a situation, which is something Corin pointed out, which was uh, really well pointed. But most business owners, they're getting so burnt out because they're working so much, and they don't have visibility on where they're going. They don't have the support that they feel they need from the staff. 
I mean, all of it's building upon them. They've been doing it for so long. Your nervous system can only handle so much for so long. So they just get fried and they throw up their hands and say, you know what, let me just, let me just go, you know, so they may prep their company for sale, but it's a small prep. It's not, it's not what's necessary in order to really a sell is a transfer of assets. So if we're transferring assets over, we want all those assets to be in really great shape, to be maximum valued, everything. And that's what they're doing is they're just exiting a situation because they are, they're overwhelmed versus if they actually went through the process of building the systems and the structure having the right support staff, you know, realigning everything, they can actually have a real business that they probably don't want to exit. Mm -hmm. And so, but they have a plan to. So the business can be ready to transfer assets at any moment in, in case somebody came along and said, hey, here's an offer. Okay, great. I'm ready. And we'll, we'll vet it out. But I'm not burnt out to where I'm going to make a bad decision. Right. When you were a young man, say middle school, junior high, what did you aspire to be? Who did you aspire to be? I wanted to be a doctor and it was only because I was raised in like financial insecurity. And I figured that a uh, doctor was a path to financial security. And uh, I was, you know, blessed enough, divine, you know, providence. My first job in college was working in medical sales and working for entrepreneurs that worked with doctors. And right when I first started working with them, they said, Hey, like, what are you going to school for? And I said, I want to be a doctor and a lawyer. And they said, look, like, Unless you're passionate about law or medicine, don't do it. And and, and they start actually laid out the numbers like, hey, these are we know what the docs are making that right. you're working with. Like, maybe consider running a business because you'll have more autonomy, but also more control over your financial outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt, how about you? I was I wanted to have my own business. You know. Yeah, that's I was always uh, wheeling and dealing things, whether it be bicycles <laughs> or. Uh, there was always some little side hustle, some little thing. And I was not ready to do that until I went to work for other people. So having the experience of working in restaurants and bars and working landscaping, construction, and all these different avenues, probably had 40 different jobs by the time I was, you know, 25. And all those things were great experience to let me make sure that what I was doing was what I wanted to do. So it's always been, um, well, I'd make the worst employee. So, uh, and I say that candidly, <laughs> but I just, I like being on my own and doing my own thing. And so it's easy to identify with business owners in that space because um, I understand what that's like. Like, it's just uncomfortable. You don't feel like you're in your own skin mm -hmm. and you want the autonomy of making decisions. What I never worked for was a company that allowed me to do that within their or own organization. So I don't know what that's like. So I'm glad that we have the opportunity to create that for others. So there are employees that shouldn't open their own business, but they have the ability to be an entrepreneur inside the organizations with mm -hmm. the companies that they're working with. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I love that. If there was one word to describe uh, cash or culture to cash around your culture as a company, what would it be? Let's say freedom. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, we're after creating psychological freedom for owners and leaders is how I'd best describe it, but also like freedom to do what they want on their terms. Yeah. Would it be the same for you? Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Freedom, offering mm -hmm. opportunity for freedom. Yeah. And then being great examples and models of that. I can sense that about both of you and I imagine your partner as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So one more time, how folks can stay in touch with you, Instagram, culture to cash, uh, as well as the website itself, culture to cash.com, both on LinkedIn. Where else? That's it. Yeah. So good snail to be mail. 
Snail mail, mm -hmm. right. Who's doing yeah. that anymore? Exactly. What's a stamp? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you both for spending your afternoon with us. It's been great to get to know you and introduce Culture to Cash to our listeners and viewers. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.